Hi, I'm Dr. Pam Peek, and welcome to episode 409 of Her, the podcast where you're going to hear the real truth about her mind, her body, her life, and today, her plants. That's right, her plants. That's why I'm wearing green right now, because we're going to be talking about plants with my dear friend and colleague, Dr. John McDougall. Hi, John. Hello there, Pam. How you doing? I am doing great. So listen, we have a terrific show coming up. It's all about green. And before we begin, I just want you to know that our sponsor is Solaray Vitamins, S-O-L-A-R-A-Y Vitamins. I know, I know you try to be so good and eat what you're supposed to eat and everything, and then reality hits and you don't eat anything or you eat trash and you're trying so hard. So just remember, you know, a multivite will help fill in some of those gaps because none of us are perfect. You know, sometimes just the food thing just falls apart. Okay, welcome to the 21st century. So run on over to solarayvitamins.com. And for you women out there, it's all about the women's multivite to start with. Okay, all right. And now here's your first reminder to run on over to iTunes to rate and review the show after we're finished because I love your feedback. It means everything to me. Okay, all right. Oh, I'm so excited about this episode. All right, it's time for Her. Her, the podcast. The naked truth about women. Her mind, her body, her life. It's all about Her. John, all I can say is it's so wonderful to see you again. Um, For all of you out there in the Herb Podcast land, I've known Dr. John McDougall for longer than I want to say. No, for many, many years. And I remember us being in Europe with the International Spa Association and presenting in Italy and all kinds of crazy places where really we were emphasizing uh, holistic, integrative, you know, uh, healthy lifestyle with your whole, you know, approach with plants and the rest of it. So John is a physician, speaker, and best-selling author who teaches the importance of a whole food starch-based diet. Don't break out in hives when I said starch. We'll be talking about that. In order to halt, reverse, and heal chronic disease. He's the co-founder of the McDougal Program, and I've had the pleasure of going out and speaking with him um, at his uh, program retreat, alongside his wife, Mary McDougal, the original whole food, plant-based vegan, and creator of thousands of low-fat, oil-free vegan recipes. You know, uh, and, and John obviously has huge national recognition as a nutrition expert um, that really, honestly, I think most of us have heard of him. And if you haven't, then update yourself for crying out loud. So we're talking today, and I invited John, you know, to be on board uh, this uh, podcast specifically to speak to yet another option. We read now um, with Dr. Google um, when we hit the internet just about every crazy ass thing you've ever heard. Uh, and some very interesting ways to eat. I mean, of course, we have the whole fasting phenomenon and the rest of it. And, and you know something? 
women come to me all the time and they're just absolutely confused, um, especially when it comes to vegetarian and vegan. And so today we're going to kind of hit the green. It's all about the green. So John, you know, can you briefly summarize how you started this whole thing? Because you did this many years ago and you're living history. And I bet you smile a little bit when you look at what's going on today. So tell us a little bit about how you started the program. That's kind of sad. You know, I've, I've been uh, in the practice of medicine for over half a century. And for 46 years, I've been doing what I've what we've talked about, and that's that's diet therapy. That's changing people from a rich Western diet to a starch-based diet. And I'll explain to you why starch is the key word. But it all started uh, when I finished my uh, medical school training, and Mary and I, my partner for 51 years, Mary and I decided to do something really fun, and we moved to Hawaii. And we fell in love. We didn't want to leave Hawaii. And uh, I took a job as a sugar plantation doctor on the Big Island of Hawaii. Oh, no, not the sugar plantation. Yeah, sugar oh. plantation. And I had 5,000 people to take care of, Pam. I, I uh, worked with them for three years. I caught 100 babies. I did brain surgery. I mean, I, I was really the doctor. And uh, it's where I learned pretty much everything that I know today. And what I observed was that my first-generation patients— these are people who were originally raised in the Philippines, China, Japan, Korea. My first-generation patients uh, were always trim, never had high blood pressure, never had diabetes, breast cancer, colon cancer. And the reason is, is they were raised in a land where they taught a starch-based diet. You know, the countries I named uh, primarily lived on rice. Before 1980, about 90% of the food intake in China was rice so these people moved to the Big Island, and they stayed healthy. They worked hard into their 80s and 90s. The children were influenced by Western civilization. So I got to see uh, changes in the family that took place, and they got a little bit more overweight and a little sicker as they ate at Texas, drive in the home on the Malasada, as, as the first McDonald's appeared in Gila, Hawaii in 1974. I, I watched them change. And then the third generation was just as overweight and as sick as, uh, as I see all across the, the, the Western world. And so the genes didn't change, the job didn't change, what changed is the food. They went from a diet based on starch to a diet based on animal foods, primarily meat, dairy, et cetera, junk food. And they got sick. You know, I, I can give you examples of, uh, of people throughout history, through every part of the world where folks lived on starch-based diets. Starches are rice, corn, potatoes, sweet potatoes, uh, breads, pastas. You know, those are, those are common starches that people really love. Well, if you look around the world and throughout history, what you find is all, we say that again long enough for you, Pam, all successful populations of people throughout all verifiable human history have obtained the bulk of their calories from starch. Let's take some examples. Uh, we have in Central America and Mexico is the Aztecs and the Mayans, who is, are known as the people of the corn. Uh, you go further south and the Incas, uh, they lived on potatoes and still do today in the Andes. Uh, if you take a look at the Native American, you know, the Native American lived on potatoes and corn. If you, uh, if you go east, for example, you go to Asia, we just talked about them primarily being rice eaters. 
If you look at the breadbasket of the world, which is what we talk about on every newscast, Ukraine, Egypt, Iran, Iraq, the breadbasket of the world, they didn't call it the pork chop basket of the world. You know, it, it's, it's always starch. And animal food intake has been minimal and isolated to, to people who lived on the extremes of the environment, like the Inuit Eskimos. Or, or people gave up their starch-based diet when they became rich. Wealthy people fed the starches to the pigs and the pheasants and the cows, and then they ate these animals. The wealthy people, you can picture them. They're sitting in their throne, obese, gout in their feet, sickly. Throughout human history, I could take you back 5,000 years to Egypt and take you, talk to you about the pharaohs who had terrible atherosclerosis, the queen who was obese, you know, the genetic defect that occurred in a child due to eating animal foods. It's called spina bifida. So, so if I can kind of jump in here a little bit. So by history, you know, a lot of the more primal, you know, communities globally, um, you know, integrated starch into their diet and they were, generally speaking, fairly healthy. If, if I could just flash forward, can you help us understand when and where starch got a bad name, you know, this whole issue. Okay, can you just sort of take us to that place? Well, what happened is 150 years ago, we had the harnessing of fossil fuels, uh, the ability to transport food all over the world, and a tremendous wealth, and also we had the Industrial Revolution. So, you know, people had technology to, instead of just having a few kings and queens, we could, uh, we could support worldwide uh, populations of people that ate just like kings and queens, and they looked just like kings and queens. That's the problem, is, is if you're going to eat the, the food of aristocrats, you're going to look like an aristocrat. Now, once there were just a few kings and queens and priests and priestess, and you know the, the bulk of the population, the one that built the pyramids, the ones that toiled in the fields, grew the cotton, grew the corn, you know, they lived on corn and potatoes and wheat and barley. They were always trimmed. They never had the diseases that were common to Westerners. So it happened about 150 years ago. And then we had something called uh, cable news. And we taught the rest of the world they need to... Uh-oh, cable news. I can see where this is going. Well, they needed to be just like Americans. And so everything American was, uh, was something they wanted to adopt. And you see this. I mean, look at places, look at Asia, look what's happened to the population. Just in, in my lifetime, they've gone from a population that had no type 2 diabetes, you know, no obesity. Prostate cancer was essentially unknown after World War II in Japan to populations that now are getting close to our statistics on heart disease, breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, et cetera. Now, the important thing, Pam, and I really want to get to this before we go on to another subject, is once you know the cause, if you stop adding fuel to the fire, then the body heals. And that's what I've been doing for 46 years. Is I've been taking people with serious weight problems, uh, type 2 diabetes, which is 100% curable, uh, people with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, you know, heart disease. Uh, all so kinds so of you've been basically offering them anti-inflammatory for all intent and purposes um, because because a more plant-based uh, dietary intake with no processed foods in it um, by definition will be anti-inflammatory right don't you think 
Well, that's one description. It's also low cholesterol, no cholesterol, low fat, you know, generally low sodium, low simple sugars, high fiber, loaded with vitamins and minerals. It, it is, you know, plants are what we're all about. The human being is a starch eater. Now, the reason I use the word starch is not because I want to ruin my reputation or not sell my books, which, by the way, The Starch Solution is uh, one of the biggest selling books uh, for the last, well, for the last uh, 12 years. It's, it's a top-selling book all over the world. Just, just got, a, just got a, a contract from Bulgaria. They're, they're going to start publishing the book there. So anyway, uh, why did I use the word starch? You know, I could have used vegetarian, vegan, whole food, plant food-based diet. It's because people need to focus on what they really need to be eating. If I said vegan, then, you know, what happens is people end up with a, a bunch of green and yellow vegetables swimming in oil. If I say a whole food, plant-based diet, that could be kale. You know, it could be broccoli. You can't live on that. You have to have potatoes, rice, corn, barley, pasta, breads. These are the things that provide enough calories for you to get through your daily life. And by the way, Pam, you know, you're an athlete. You know, you're a runner. Who has won, from what country, has come the people who've won the last five five. Uh, marathon races, Boston, New York, Chicago. Well, by definition, it's the African nations. Well, yeah, they're you know? and Ethiopians. 80% of their diet is corn. You know, that's why they win. They know that. Runner's World magazine writes about this. You know, the fastest man in the world, once upon a time, was, was my patient, Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis set the world record for the 100-meter dash on the McDougal diet set three long jump records that I don't know if it's been beat since. But they what is this whole issue, you know, that you hear um, all the time about gluten and, you know, the evil gluten and how people want gluten-free and all the rest of it. And so, therefore, for all intent and purposes, they avoid grains um, because we, they we, feel we, that we, grains are pro-inflammatory. Wheat, barley, and rye is what they avoid. That's, that's what you have Wheat, barley, and rye. You can still eat rice. You can still eat corn. You can still eat potatoes. There are all kinds of, uh, of low-gluten foods. Wheat, barley, and rye, you have to avoid. About 1 in 250 people in Western civilization suffers from celiac disease or dermatitis hepatiformis, which is the skin condition. 1 in 250. But there's been this rage, which has caused 40% of the packaged products to be labeled gluten-free, you know, thinking that that's the problem. This is a dangerous distraction, Pam. Uh, you know, the world is burning. Uh, it's, it's on fire because people are concentrated on the real cause of global warming, which is animal food production. Over, over half the greenhouse gases, according to all the experts, half the greenhouse gases are produced by the agricultural industry. And Pam, here's one for you. If you change to a vegan diet, which happens to be what the diet is that I recommend, I just call it starch-based, you will reduce your production of CO2 by 80% overnight. Now, stick that in your ideas about recycling your trash or, or taking take, take a ride in a... So in we're a really looking at our carbon footprint here, too. But, you know, 
Um, and I don't think there's any question that this has really been a very active, um, you know, subject out there. What is the carbon footprint for for basically an animal-based diet? Um, no question with the big factories and the slaughterhouses and all the rest of it, and also just, you know, um, out in the fields. However, what if you're a woman sitting right here and she's tinkering with the idea, you know, of experimenting, that she's tried maybe flexitarian, so she does a little bit of this, a little bit of that, not bad. The good news is she's avoiding um, the ultra-processed foods, uh, for sure. She's made a big step there and sees a dent in, you know, her weight and feeling better. But now she wants to kind of look at this whole issue of vegetarian versus vegan. So what is the main difference you see with vegetarian and vegan um, so that she can maybe do some more experimenting here? Well, when, when people say vegetarian, they often include eggs and uh, dairy. Uh, when they include vegan, the problem is, is that the vegetables are swimming in oil. What you, your listeners need to understand is, number one, the fat you eat is the fat you wear. It goes from your fork and spoon to your hips and abdomen and thigh and buttocks. It's direct movement. The fat you eat is the fat you wear. The other thing they need to understand is that carbohydrate satisfies the hunger drive. So if you're out there thinking you're an obsessive compulsive overeater, that you, you can, no matter how much you eat, you can't get satisfied it's because you're not eating the carbohydrate. Carbohydrate is starch. That, that's what you, and then you become satisfied. Pam, again, I'll challenge you with the fact that these populations, the Aztecs, the Incas, the Asians, the Africans, there were no overweight people, none until they adopted the Western diet. So how can you go against the evidence of 100 billion people, huh? You know, but what you have to do is you have to have a product to sell the gullible. And it's gone all the way from low-carb diets to injections these days with omzipic. There's human growth hormone and all kinds of crazy things. So my, my question is, you know, the name of the drug. You know, the diabetic drug that all, all the breaks, $1,000 a month at least. You inject yourself. You make yourself so sick you can't eat, and so you lose weight. That's the way it works. These are uh, GLP-1 agonists. There are a whole bunch so of now, well, but, it's but money, now it's money, Pam. It's money, no, Pam. No, no, I, I get that 100%. We're in the 21st century. We're not in with the Aztecs anymore, sadly. Um, and so just living as someone who is either a vegetarian or vegan um, in the hinterland or wherever you are, yeah. um, you know, you go to a restaurant. It, it, the, obviously, in uh, an urban city, you have more options, more choices on the menus, et cetera. They tend to be more inclusive. But, you know, sometimes it's a little bit difficult to be able to, you know, uh, if you're traveling and if you're going around to be able to score that, that vegan kind of diet. I know it's been difficult for a long time. It's getting easier and easier now. Um, so, you know, just looking at it on a practical sense, um, you know, it's, it's hard. You know, eating, eating at home, you know, could cut your food bill by 80%. Uh, 
So yes, you should eat more at home. Mary, my my partner and wife for 51 years, has published over 4,000 recipes. And they're really simple. I mean, they're simple stuff like oatmeal for breakfast, uh, bean burritos, uh, mushu vegetables over rice. Uh, we had onion soup last night. Just, I mean, they take like three minutes to put together. Uh, you know, that's the kind of cook that Mary is. Well, you know, so you don't want, you know, I know I'm going to get to it. So you don't want to eat <laughs> You don't want to eat at home. How do you eat out? Well, I can go to any town, medium size or large, any place in the world, and I can find a Japanese restaurant. Okay? So I can order sushi, which is, sushi does not mean fish. I can order sushi, which is a, a, a rice well, roll. Well, can have cucumber and, yeah, you, know. Rice, you know. Avocado is not so great for losing weight, but... You, you understand. I, I can go to, uh, you got to be careful in vegan restaurants. Uh, I can go to uh, I can go to a steakhouse, and I can order a couple of baked potatoes and a salad, and bring my own salad dressing. Along, you know, we went to we went to one of the seafood places that's near our home. It's walking distance uh, for our actually for our fifty first anniversary, just a couple of nights ago. And uh, congratulations, yeah, John! I, I, that's, that's something I'm really proud of is the fact that there's somebody that can tolerate me for fifty one years. But we Mary brought a thermos of her favorite golden gravy so that we could order the mashed potatoes, which are clean, and some spinach and some mushrooms. And we had a great big bowl of mashed potatoes. And when you put the gravy on, my, our, my granddaughter, who's 11 years old, she, she's a strict vegan. She won't touch anything from an animal. And she, you know, she really enjoyed that dinner. So well, talk, talk to me, how about, you how know. About, how, about, how about a Mexican restaurant? You know, okay, you, now hold on, hold on, hold on. on. It, let, let's talk about something that I've had, uh, you know, as a discussion point um, for a couple of podcasts recently, and that is the issue of protein. You know, so the question then is, where is the protein in a vegan diet? I want to make sure everyone hears where it comes from. Well, Pam, have you ever seen a case of dietary protein deficiency? Neither has anybody else. It's impossible to design a diet that's protein deficient based upon any natural diet. It's just, it's evil. That's what it is. It's not just, it's just not wrong. It's evil because- Well, wait a minute. You could get protein from, from beans. Get protein from potatoes, sweet potatoes. And from lentils. You can't miss. It's impossible to miss. You've never seen a case, case of protein deficiency. You've never seen it. It doesn't exist. Yet an entire industry is based upon this selling point. It's called unique positioning. What, what industry does is they find something unique about their product and they advertise it to death. In this case, it's your death. Like the meat industry, the egg industry, what, what's, what's unique about them? Protein. Okay, how about the dairy industry? What's unique about them? Come on. What's unique about the dairy industry? Well, they're doing the protein thing no, again. Oh, calcium, calcium, Pam. Well, no, There's but it's calcium and protein. Oh, uh, there, I'll give you both. But, but you know, people think of dairy and calcium. But you know, there's never been a case of dietary calcium deficiency ever reported on any natural diet. It doesn't exist. The need for calcium and protein is so low in the human being. It's low in all animals. I mean, you can build. So, so let me. But you can build a giraffe. You can build a hippopotamus on plants. John, John, let's get out of the zoo for a minute. So, let me ask you a question. If you are, are explaining something, you know, in, in general, right, in, in, to someone who is curious, 
um, and they're willing to experiment because what we're seeing today is people jump from one kind of dietary intake to another as they're experimenting and really trying to customize what works best for them. And, you know, if, if you're looking at your dietary approach in, in, in the vegan, um, so you're saying it's starch centric. Um, and do you ever even think about how much protein is being ingested? So you don't look at the, the, the RDAs no. for protein. You don't look at. Never. It's interesting. Watch my lips again. There has never been a case of dietary protein deficiency ever described on any natural diet. Doesn't exist. But these, these industries, they identify something unique in their product and they lie. And they've lied so much that not only has it destroyed billions of people's health, but it's the issue that's destroying our planet. It's the belief that we need to eat these cows and pigs to get protein. It's destroying planet Earth. What, what, what about fish? What about fish? They're so dirty with methylmercury, I wouldn't touch one. So in other words, you know, there's no question that most of us now know that um, there are a goodly amount of fish uh, types that definitely have um, the extra metals and toxins and whatever. I get that part too. Um, and so I, I get that. Um, what I'm trying to do here is I'm one of these people who's kind of, you know, um, uh, trying to make sure that people understand their own, you know, nutritional requirements. I think what is said out there on the part of a lot of academics is that, you know, protein itself for a woman, I'm looking at a woman here, um, is important for bone health. Um, it's also, and, you know, again, whether it comes from a potato or another source, it, it is definitely important. And it's also important, and this is something interesting here I want to throw up to you. I'm a, I'm, I'm a body composition expert. I've written chapters on this in, in textbooks. And I, I really look very closely, specifically at a woman's body, um, at her ability to maintain enough muscle mass as she ages to be able to uh, be strong enough, to be independent enough, um, and to be able to help herself. You know, there's in the seventh decade of life, uh, as you're well aware, there is a big shift in body comp, um, and it doesn't have to be that crazy if you already have enough muscle on board, but it can be pretty catastrophic for people who don't have enough muscle on board, and that is what we call sarcopenia, and that is it's an age-related, it doesn't matter if you're an Olympian or not, it's an age-related drop in lean body mass that I pay attention to. So once you're in your 60s, you know, you watch that very carefully. If you start from a higher level and then you drop a little bit, you know, that's not, nobody's going to die. But if you don't have a whole lot on board to start with and then you have that age-related drop, this could be a little bit of a problem because what you want to avoid is frailty because there's no coming back. And so I'm just wondering, um, do you look at, uh, the aging process and and do any kind of nuances or change-ups with regard to protein? No. No, no it's not. Again, for, for a million years, you know, there have been women, and they've gone through various stages of life. They've gone through being infants to adolescents to reproductive 
people to menopause, and they never changed their diet. I mean, you think, uh, you think 2 billion Asians uh, switched to meat when they got to be 70? No, of course not. They stayed on their rice-based diet. This is all nonsense, Pam, and it hasn't. It has no, 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 but, but I'm just bringing this up because this is very important we talk about because it's all over everywhere. I mean, this is what people are reading on Instagram and, you know, all the rest of it. And I, I just think it's an important topic to really address. Now, the other... The, the other little, you know, caveat with looking at women from, you know, 200, 300 years ago is most of them didn't live beyond the age of 45, 50, if they were lucky. So there really wasn't what we have today, which is an average age, you know, in terms of lifespan of about 88 years old for a woman. Um, and, you know, now we have this long period in her life that we never dealt with before in a big way because people obviously because of infection accidents you know crazy stuff going on in the past women didn't live that long so well, pam, you know it's like we're, we're kind of making new rules up here pam they didn't live that long because of death at childbirth because of infectious diseases yeah that's what i said let me finish if, if you reach the age of 35 the difference in longevity between a woman now and a woman more than 100 years ago is fewer than three years, okay? So, you know, you're looking at statistics that deal with childbirth, death, uh, di dying from infant diseases. You're, you're figuring those into your statistics. But let's, let's not go into that. Uh, you know, I, I, this, this whole business about sarcopenia is being, it's being supported by money, Pam. It's, yeah, as you get older, and, you know, I threatened to take my shirt off to show you my muscles. You know, I'm 75 years old. I still got muscles, and, and I don't take any supplements, and I don't take any. You know, I don't. I don't eat no animals at all. So, I know, wish that people. Well, you, you know, but what's also important here, and the reason why you're here, John, is because I wanted someone to speak to this whole movement with vegan. Um, because, you know, the grand majority of, of people out there are not going that direction. But what's happening, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, there is a very strong trending toward plant-based. And I see it more and more and more, even if it's just, honestly, the grand majority of Americans, I'm only going to speak to America, grand majority of Americans are not getting anywhere near the amount of, of plants on a daily basis. And, and that's really important. Um, you know, uh, our friend uh, Michael Polden, who, you know, has, has written his plant-based books and everything and has come up with his little, you know, one-liners. He did a big favor to everyone by basically just saying, you know, everyone just chill out here and, and let's just add some more green because he already knew that people weren't going to go from ultra processed eating all day long to vegan, it, you know, unless they were lucky enough to be able to be under your guidance and, and that of your program where they can be walked through this. And, and I just think that people are, are wondering what's the best thing for them at their stage in life. And when I say people, I mean women, um, as they're doing everything from, you know, going through the menstrual years, fertility, perimenopause, menopause, and beyond, you know, do you actually change it up? Is it a better thing to do one thing versus another? 
I find women jumping around a lot. One day, maybe like out of seven days of the week, maybe uh, three days they're kind of flexitarian. One day they're, for all intent and purposes, vegan. And then they go back to, you know, vegetarian. It's just kind of interesting. I don't see people living one particular way all the time. That's um, I think they found play. by diet. They found, they found dieting is painful. They starve. They find low carbohydrates make them sick. They don't want to be sick all the time. They can't afford these shots that make them sick. They're searching because they haven't found the truth. The truth is 99.99% of people who ever walked this earth lived on starches, a starch-based diet. Always trim, no heart disease, no breast cancer, no osteoporosis, et cetera. Pam, you have not heard me describe our diet, the McDougall diet, as a vegan diet. You heard me describe it as a starch-based diet. None of these populations were vegan. You know, you're, you're, you're using a term that has an well, What do you mean none of these um, populations were, were vegan? What were they then? They were starch eaters. You know, they, they could catch an animal once in a while. They had no ah. You know, they, they ate whatever was available. And you know how this hunter-gatherer thing got started, Pam? You'll like this. Okay. You'll really like this. One game. Okay, the hunter-gatherer. Uh, who are the hunters, male or female? Actually, they're female. Oh, come on. No, come on. I, women I'm, women I'm were out there, too. I'm sorry. We, we started off on the wrong foot. It's <laughs> the men that went out and hunted, maybe caught an animal, maybe got the animal back in time before it rotted. Who, who got the food? The children, the women, the grandparents, the gatherers. It's a, it's a, it's a, a sexist idea. That's the problem. Have you ever heard of sexism, Pam? <laughs> it, it's just nonsense. So, what, so when you're saying it was now, we we know obviously the women, the children, the grand grandmother, you know, would prepare the, and the food. grandfather and the grandfather. I was out there too picking the food, and and it would would prepare the food, right? Well, they found it. They gathered it. They were the gatherers. Yeah, they prepared it. They gathered. It, they got it. The men came home empty-handed most of the time. You know, except you know, I I know I heard that a long time ago. Um, I think there was some kind of Disneyland fantasy about the fact that the guys went out there and they scored every single day. And when when in reality, survival was was ugly. Um, and you know, it's not like you went down the the street to a Safeway and just you know got what you needed. Um, it, and also, it depended upon the season. You know, it was maybe it was inclement weather and, and a terrible way to get out there and, and hunt without killing yourself with the weather. So, you know, I mean, things were really tough. And, and to your point about many of these um, tribes and, and communities um, over the centuries, you know, they had to do one thing, and, and it's the number one prerogative of the human body, survive. <laughs> you know, and you did what you could to survive. Um, and there was no one saying, no, you can't do that. Um, you know, yelling at them if they wanted to pick a, you know, a berry from a, from a bush. Um, but it, it's just interesting to see that over the course of time with the industrial revolution, um, with the processing and ultra processing of, I don't even call it food. It's just like science fair projects, most of it. Um, you know, has just infiltrated everyone's eating. If you go to the UK, it's the same thing and all the rest of it, you know, to the urban areas. 
Um, and I, I just think that sometimes, and the purpose of this podcast is to pull back for just a moment and to look at history and to appreciate history and then to say to yourself, well, it's the 21st century and there's always some fast food thing, you know, around the block. What kind of choices are you making and what kind of options do you have to be able to get healthier and to decrease inflammation in your body, to decrease chronic disease, um, if, if not cure it like the uh, uh, type 2 diabetes, which I completely agree with, is, is completely, you know, but unfortunately it's also tied in with obesity um, to the point where we call it diabesity. Um, and so, you know, women, I think, sit back and just say, well, I need a little bit of help, some history, yeah. some direction. Well, let me tell you how I've tried to help people. I, I've taken care of personally uh, 12,000 patients in my career, more than 12,000. 6,000 of these people we've, uh, we've taken through uh, programs. Uh, I originally ran my program at St. Helena Hospital. And then when you came to visit us uh, several years back, I ran the program at a luxury resort. Now we run the 12-day McDougal program uh, by the internet. We do telemedicine. It is far more effective than anything we've ever done before. And we cut the price by two-thirds. And so we run a program uh, every month or every other month where people from Shanghai, Sydney, Hong Kong, Peru, you know, they come from all over the world. And uh, our doctors take care of them and uh, our support people uh, you know, they go right in their kitchen by the internet. They help them plan breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They take their blood sugars, their blood pressures, etc. You know, we've we've made this a fine art by doing it over the internet. Now, Pam, I want to address something that you uh, that you brought up. And I'm a medical doctor. I'm a board certified internist. Okay, uh, my only obligation is to my patients. And uh, so, you know, I've taken it from the point of view that I need to offer people the best I know. And that's why we teach a starch-based diet with fruits and vegetables. My son, who's a professor at one of the medical schools in the United States, he uh, has practiced partially this way. He says to me one day, he says, Dad, I don't have to teach my patients how to cheat. They'll figure that out on themselves. So I, I try and teach them the best. But, you know, Pam, I take care of people who have lost 90% of their heart. They've lost 90% of their kidneys. You know, I take care of people who have been diabetic for 30, 40 years. You know, I take care of the, I'm a doctor, okay? I only got into the weight loss business on a demand. So, you know. Well, also because quite frankly, I mean, if you look at the statistics, um, the majority, starting in 1997, the majority of the American population was overweight. And if we keep up at this rate, um, by the year 20, the problem's by the year, it's no, but by the year 2030, the majority will be obese. I want to make sure everyone knows how to, how to check out your program. So I, I want to make sure that people know that the website is drmcdougal.com. So that's D-R-M-C-D-O-U-G-A-L-L.com. And when you go to that website, which I have right in front of me, what you're going to be able to see are the recipes, some recipes, the educational programs, hot topics, success stories, programs, 12-day program, the start solution, mini courses. Um, and there's also uh, uh, a shop to be able to look at 
specific products to be able to help you along and guide yourself. And then a really nice history about um, John uh, McDougall uh, and his wonderful team. And you'll be able to see that this is a comprehensive, holistic, and integrative program. And, you know, what I encourage everyone out there on the Herb Podcast land to do is just to think about your options. No one forces you to do anything, but think about your options and educate the heck out of yourself. Learn, take a moment, and don't leap at the next new bling that shows up. Some celebrity came up with some crazy-ass idea you know, to drop a few pounds. The, the issue is not dropping pounds. As Dr. McDougall and I 100% agree, what it's about is enhancing health and well-being and to be able to extend our health spans, let alone our lifespan. In the best of all worlds, it's nice if they're both kind of about the same. And, and that's one of the reasons why this is important. You'll see his books, and, and actually, the other day I was at the, uh, at the grocery store, and I think I emailed you, and I said, there it was, McDougal uh, soups, which are phenomenal. I just love them. And these are beans and lentil. Oh, my gosh, they're so good, easy to make. So, you know, in a pinch, if you can't sit there and, you know, start with that little pressure cooker and all the rest of it yourself— you know, all you need to do is just crack open one of those wonderful soups. And so I'm giving a big shout out to well, that, thank too. Thank you, Pam. They're, they're, they're in over 6,000 stores across the country. Yeah. And, 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 and I got mine at a, at a giant, yeah, which is one of the biggest, you know, chains in the United States. So as we're wrapping this up, I just want to make certain that people know how to reach you, you know, with the uh, Dr. McDougall Health and Medical Center online and i am thrilled to know and clearly because of covid and all the rest of it um you know i'm thrilled to know that there's an online option here so that everyone can really have an opportunity to learn to take a moment to experiment and and just to figure out what's best for themselves because we're all so unique how's that sound john well that sounds really good i do want to mention that on the website drmcdougall.com there's a free, no gimmicks, 12-day program. There's uh, probably five, 600 recipes that are free. So, you know, we've tried to address everybody's uh, needs out there and, and money. We never wanted to be an obstacle for people. So, you know, you can do that. Uh, and, and I love that. And you know what? I, you know, I, I want to end this whole thing with this. I am so honored to know you, John, because you have devoted your entire medical career and life, you know, to helping people find a way that is to, to, to become healthy and well um, in a way that they may not have been thinking about that was way beyond, you know, before its time in terms of, you know, vegan is so much more common now. And you were courageous and you were knowledgeable and you help so many people not only get there, but to sustain their success. And so I want everyone out there to just know that these kinds of things are possible um, and that there is an option and that Dr. McDougall and his program um, are an excellent place to begin to do that experimentation. How's that sound? 
Yeah, that's wonderful, Pam. And you know what? Each and every person should decide for themselves how much of their personal appearance that they've lost that they want back, how much medication you want to get off, you know, how much health you want to have, et cetera. You, it should be your decision. All we're going to do is we're going to teach you the best. Absolutely. Gonna, and with that, you how to do it. We're going to show you how to do it. All right. With that, just run on over to the website and scope it out yourself. John, I am beyond thrilled and, and so very, very grateful that you spent the time with us today to kind of open up minds that may be a little bit closed. And I want everyone out there to run on over to iTunes, rate and review the show while all of this is fresh in your mind. And I want to give another toss out to Solaray Vitamins, um, which is the sponsor of the show. And, you know, again, I stress that we try to do the best we can, but it is insane out there. <laughs> and we're trying to cook at home. We're trying to do our gig, but you need to have some kind of backup um, when things are not exactly rosy. So Solaray Vitamins in Women, it's the multivite. Start there and have a little look at solarayvitamins.com. And ah, I am so thrilled to have done this episode. And I learned everything again, all over again with you, John. You just keep enhancing my knowledge base. Well, listen, I'm Dr. Pam Peek. I'm host of this wonderful Herb podcast. Follow me on Facebook at Dr. Pam Peek or Twitter and Instagram at Pam Peek MD. And just remember to catch every single episode of the Herb podcast on iTunes, on Radio MD, as well as Spotify, as well as Pocket Cast and all the other major platforms. That's because we want to get this message out there. All right. Thanks for coming on board, listening and viewing today. Stay safe, stay well, and thank you, John.